listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. It stretches and reaches. It bars and breaches. It yearns and burns and learns and teaches. It inspires and commands. It contracts and expands. It affirms and endures. It defers and demands. It's a whisper, a breath a spark to the flame. It's life beyond death, known but unnamed. If you seek, you will find, and if you listen, you'll hear it. This is life on the vine. This is life in the spirit. everyone. It's so good to see you. Welcome. Welcome back and welcome uh, to Pentecost Sunday. I love Pentecost Sunday. You know, I grew up a Pentecostal. I would still, I mean, I still self-identify as Pentecostal. It makes it sound like it was something I used to be. But the little church that I grew up in, in the mountains of Virginia, we, uh, we were Pentecostal, but we didn't know the church calendar at all, really. Like, we thought the church calendar was like... Um, you know, Valentine's Day and St. Patrick's Day, Memorial Day, Fourth of July, those kind of things. And, um, and I remember going to college, and it was a Presbyterian school, and somebody said, hey, you know, you know, Pentecost Sunday was coming up. I guess I was around for summer school. And I'm like, Pentecost Sunday? What's that? And they're like, oh, it's, a, it's like a Christian holiday. It's a Christian, you know, day of the year. I'm like, really? Hmm. I thought every Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. <laughs> And I still kind of feel like that. And in some ways, it actually is. Like, we live after Pentecost. Like, in some ways, we are the post-Pentecostal church. Not just us, but the entire church. Like, Pentecost is like the church's birthday. Like, Jesus says to Peter when he confesses, when Peter confesses, you are the Christ, Jesus says, yes, and you are the rock. And upon this rock, I shall build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So that's the promise of the church. And then, at, at the ascension, not at the ascension, but just before the ascension, Jesus commissions the apostles. And he says, as you're going, go out, and as you're going, disciple the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and teaching them to keep everything that I've commanded you, for I'm with you always, even unto the end of the earth. So he had promised the church... And then he commissioned them to go and kind of make the church, to build the church. And that happens with the gift of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So the day of Pentecost was a Jewish holiday. There are lots of Jewish holidays. Uh, Rosh Hashanah is like New Year's. Uh, Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. Um, uh, I forget the one. There's another one that they, they celebrate when they finish kind of reading through the Torah for the year. But then there's these three big holidays, uh, Passover, 
Pentecost, the one we're talking about today, and then Tabernacles. So think of like a big holiday. So what are the, what are the big holidays in our calendars? Like Christmas, yeah, definitely, very good. What, what's another one? Easter, yeah. Maybe Thanksgiving. My birthday. What are you laughing about? You guys don't celebrate my birthday? Well, we need to put that on our calendar. It's, it's coming up this summer, and it will be, and it will be my Pentecost birthday. Like, I, Pentecost means 50, and so I'm turning 50, and Pentecost traditionally means 50. It's 50 days since Passover. So the Passover was kind of the celebration of the birth of the nation of Israel. Like, before that, they were just the Hebrews. But with the Passover, you get the birth of this nation, and then uh, seven weeks later, there's a festival called the Festival of Weeks. It's seven weeks, so that's 49 days. And at the end of that, the 50th day is this celebration. And so in Acts 2, when it says, on the day of Pentecost, this happened, it was a big holiday. It was a holiday that was, was celebrating the gift of the law at Sinai. I mean, it, it had an agricultural meaning too, but its spiritual meaning was they had, they had come through the Red Sea, that's at Passover, they had made their way to Sinai, and then now, 50 days later, Moses goes on the mountain and God comes down and gives them the covenant and says, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. And so, 50 days before this Passover, excuse me, 50 days before this Pentecost, was the Passover on which Jesus had died. So Jesus is referred to as the Passover lamb. Jesus is the one who kind of delivers us. And now 50 days later, once again, God is coming down, right? God is coming down with us, and he's not just bestowing on us the law, he's bestowing on us the spirit, right? So that we are all filled with God's spirit. So in modern times, there was a Pentecostal revival in the late 19th and early 20th century that gave birth to the modern Pentecostal movement. So like when I say I'm Pentecostal, that's, that's what I'm referring to. So eventually that movement would kind of start a lot of denominations, so like the Church of God in Christ or the Church of God or the Assemblies of God or the Pentecostal Holiness. There's lots of them that are out there. Um, and that... That movement, again, kind of starts at the beginning of the 20th century, and in particular, I mean, there was lots of places that it was happening, but in particular was Los Angeles, California. In Los Angeles, California, from 1906 to 1909, there was this extended revival that was held on Azusa Street, and so we, we refer to it as the Azusa Street Revival. It was led by a man named William Seymour. Seymour was this kind of one-eyed, black, holiness preacher and he had been kind of ostracized by, by a lot of Christians in different places. Like he had tried to go to a Bible school in Texas, but his teacher made him sit outside. Like he had to sit out in the hallway. And so the fact that now uh, the revival, and that was kind of by the guy who had, had kind of reinvigorated this whole practice of speaking in tongues at a, at a Bible school in Kansas. So... This revival takes place and the spirit is poured out. And if there's one thing I want you to take away from the service today is that the spirit is the spirit of unity. Like we titled the service E Pluribus Unum, right? Out of many, one. 
So we might be many, but we're made into one. And that's the impulse of the Spirit. The Spirit is always unifying. If you see something in the world that's driving people apart, if you see something in the world that's marginalizing folks, you can know for sure that that's not the work of the Spirit. The Spirit gathers. The Spirit draws. The Spirit unifies. And I want to say a few things about that spiritual revival of early Pentecost there in the 20th century. One of the things was it was multiracial. So long before the civil rights movement, say the civil rights movement was in the 50s and 60s, the Azusa Street Revival had people of all races, black and white and Latino and Asian and uh, Native American. It was a very, very diverse group long before that ever became kind of in vogue in the culture. They also had kind of multi-gender leadership. There were men and women in leadership. There were men that preached. There were women that preached. There were men that spoke in tongues and interpreted. There were women that spoke in tongues and interpreted. Both, both prophesied. Like all of these things were taking place, not just in a multiracial way, but also in a multi-gender way. But, but the revival wasn't simply marked by the fact that it was multiracial and multi-gender. It was also multi-class. There were a lot of poor people, and, and sometimes Pentecostals are known for kind of being the poor people, right? We kind of live on the other side of the tracks. Like Angela and I used to live in a house, and this is not an exaggeration. When the train came by, I could reach out and high-five the engineer. I mean, that thing was close, right? I mean, it, it actually did shake the windows in the house. But the revival at that time was, was multi-class. And sometimes that's difficult to find, even in churches today. Like we, we tend to gather around folks who are fairly similar to us in lots of different ways. And this, this was different. It took it one step further. It wasn't just multiracial and multigender and multi-class. It was also multinational. So that it became a place of pilgrimage. Not unlike the original um, Pentecost celebration where, where Jews and proselytes, you know, Gentiles who were, who were practicing Judaism would travel to Jerusalem. People were traveling to Los Angeles. And so Seymour had this newspaper, the, the pastor who was running the revival had this newspaper. He would write in it. He's like, man, there was this Mexican lady and she stood up and she spoke. And I didn't, I didn't understand Spanish, but I could definitely tell the spirit of God was on her. And then there was this German guy, and he got up and spoke, and he spoke in German, and I don't understand German either, but I could look at his face, and I knew that God was moving in him. Now, that's a beautiful thing, friends. Like, that, I think, is the representation of the Spirit of God, a movement of God that went beyond the borders of denominations, beyond the borders of race, beyond the borders of gender, beyond the borders of class, beyond the borders of nationality. However, it didn't take too long before things in Azusa, at Azusa Street began to kind of fall apart. They weren't able to kind of maintain that unity very long. Because it didn't take too long for some folks who, who were from the outside said, yes, this is the work of God and we are the people of God, so let us tell you how to do these things. So... An, uh, Parham comes from Kansas and he's like, well, number one, the first thing you have to do is segregate <laughs> because on, I saw on the altar 
a black man lay his hands on a white woman, and I know that's not of God. So, so the racism that was part of their culture kind of seeped into how they behaved. So much so that Seymour at one point had to say, look, if you're not black, we're not going to let you be in leadership because every, all the white people that come in and try to take over, try to take over. And they try to separate us. And the Spirit's not trying to separate us. And it didn't take too long before those, those new Pentecostal groups took shape, like the Assemblies of God. And I, you know, full disclosure here, you guys know that I'm a biblical scholar, right? That's my day job. I teach at a university. The university is affiliated with the Assemblies of God. The Assemblies of God was a movement that was originally a part of the Church of God in Christ, the largest black denomination in the world. And it kind of took shape because a bunch of the white folks left because they wanted to be in charge. That's a sad part of that story. So all the, all the early folks in the Assemblies of God, all those early ministers had been affiliated with the Church of God in Christ. And then we started to marginalize the women, right? The Spirit had been poured out on all flesh at Azusa Street, just like it had been done in Jerusalem, right? Where everybody seemed to be used, but we weren't able to kind of maintain that unity. Because although the impulse of the Spirit is to unify, there's the impulse of the world which is to divide us, to separate us to say you're different from them. Maybe you're better from them. Or maybe they're trying to get the resources that you're trying to get, and so you better get yours before they get yours. Because there, there is another impulse in the, world, in the world besides the Spirit, and that is driving us apart. And I don't think I have to preach very hard on that. Like you don't have to, I don't have to convince you of that, I think. It, it doesn't take much to look around to realize that we don't always get along. Just, you know, talk to your neighbors or, 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 or talk to your family or talk to your coworkers. Now, I don't want to beat up on the 20th century. I mean, it, it, had its, it had its hard times. And there would be things that would come along that I think the impulse of the spirit at Azusa Street would find an impulse in our culture. Like I think the women's rights movement and the civil rights movement are both impulses of the spirit maybe not through the church, but through society that seek to, to provide equality for us, that do bring us together in ways in which we can live in unity. And, I, and I'll say this now, and I'll probably say it again because it's important, I think, that unity here is not uniformity. Unity doesn't mean we're all alike. Unity is actually greater than sameness. Unity is when we can be together despite the fact that we are different. Unity, in fact, might be that we can be together and celebrate our differences as opposed to fear them, right? So, again, I don't want to beat up on the 20th century because I don't think that's a, uh, I don't think the challenge of, of division is unique to it. In fact, if we look at the book of Acts, if we look at the Acts of the Apostles, the Spirit was poured out there too, and it provided that same level of unity. In fact, let's first look at the unity that it did provide. So I said with Seymour and Azusa Street, the unity included both nationality and ethnicity, right? That, that they were unified in that way, multinational and multi-ethnic. Let's turn again to Acts chapter 2 and listen to the group of people who were there when the Spirit is poured out. Um, it says this, how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, 
and residents, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. This is a lot of places, my friends. And I did practice saying all those names. <laughs> but a little geographical lesson here. The, the Parthians, the Medes, and the Elamites, these, these folks lived in kind of what is modern-day Iran. A little bit of Iraq, but mostly modern-day Iran. But also northern Iran, which might be like Uzbekistan and Kakistan up towards the Caspian Sea. But then the residents of Mesopotamia would be kind of mostly in Iraq, between the Tigris and the Euphrates. Judea, of course, is that land around Jerusalem. Cappadocia and, and, and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia are all in modern-day Turkey, right, Asia Minor. The Phrygians, that's an interesting crowd in particular. You might know a Phrygian. Little quiz here. Anybody know a Phrygian? Uh, Midas, King Midas, you know that, Midas Touch? He was a Phrygian. That has nothing to do with the sermon, sorry. <laughs> that was just a side note. But visitors from Rome, and then this, this is an interesting piece. Both Jews and proselytes, like I think that is extraordinarily important. That the folks who are here, that the spirit is being poured out on, is not just being poured out on the Jews. It's being poured out on the Jews and proselytes. Proselytes are non-Jews who are practicing Judaism. So like uh, a famous one might be Cornelius, the centurion from Caesarea. We hear about him later in the book of Acts. But there are lots of them. And so the spirit is poured out kind of on all these different places and on all these different ethnicities. And then it goes on. It's not just national and ethnic diversity, but we also read in Acts 2 about gender and class diversity as well. Look at this passage. This is just slightly, slightly later in Acts 2. It says, in the last days, Peter here is preaching and he's quoting the prophet Joel. In the last days, it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Say that with me. All flesh. Try it again. All flesh. There you go. On your sons and your daughters shall, shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So it sounds to me like the revival that took place at the original day of Pentecost, original Christian day of Pentecost, there in Acts 2, is very, very similar to what was going on at Azusa Street with Seymour and that crowd. That the Spirit was moving amongst the people and that it was animating them, empowering them, enabling them. And mostly, the, thing, the, the point that I want to focus on today, it was empowering them, enabling them to be unified in ways that their culture told them they shouldn't or couldn't. But not unlike the 20th century, in the first century, they also struggled. The unity of the day of Pentecost didn't last that long. That's Acts chapter 2. By the time we get to Acts chapter 5, they're already starting to splinter. 
First over economics. That's always one of the toughest ones, man. Money's, money's attractive. I mean, I like it, right? But we have to, money should serve the common good, right? We have it to provide for our families, to help our friends, for our society to be healthy. As scripture tells us, it's not that money is evil, but man, the love of money is the root of all evil. And Ananias and Sapphira are a perfect example of folks who were venturing away from the impulse of the spirit. They were kind of following the impulse of the world. That's Acts chapter 5. In the very next chapter, Acts chapter 6, they're starting to splinter again. But this time, it's not over finances, it's over ethnicity. So you have all these different widows. And they would have been mostly Jewish, although I guess because there were proselytes there too, there were some Gentile. And it says they're the Hebraic widows and they're the Hellenistic widows. Which, I think anyway, doesn't necessarily divide right along race lines. Like I think you might have had Jewish widows who were also kind of Hellenistic. And you might have had some Gentile widows who were also kind of Hebraic, right? Some kind of following more of the tradition or not. But what's happening is those that are Hebraic are being provided for in ways that those who are Hellenistic are not. Like that's not the spirit. We, we, we don't provide for some widows because they're, they're behaving in a particular way and not other widows. The division continues even more so along kind of ethnic lines and, and the, the cultural lines of practice. In Acts chapter 15, they have this big council because they can't quite seem to decide exactly how Jewish you have to be in order to worship Jesus or in order to follow Jesus. And it was a tough one, right? They had their scriptures. They had the law. It told them how to eat, what to eat and what not to eat, and who to eat with and who not to eat with and how to prepare the food. And now they're having these visions that say, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And you have Peter like sitting down at Cornelius' house and having a meal with, with Gentiles, which I know to us might not seem that odd, right? Because we, we would say we would have dinner with, with whomever. But would we? You know what I'm talking about? I'm sure there are groups that we might hesitate to have dinner with. So, somebody that somehow is outside of our, our realm of comfortability. But this is what they're being called to. And so that impulse, that kind of, that kind of anti-spirit impulse that we see in the 20th century, I also see in the first century. And this is why I think Jesus and, and Paul and Peter and John and others are constantly having to hit this drum, right, to kind of get us in step with what is it like to walk in the Spirit? What is it like to live in the Spirit? To walk in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit again, is to be unified. Unified. And so, uh, we'll, we'll focus here on Paul just a bit. This is Paul early in his career as an apostle. He's writing Galatians, perhaps his first book. And he says this, he says, there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no slave or free, there is no longer male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So I get it, I get it. They, they were having to navigate, this was new to them, 
right? They had been used to being separated and now the Spirit's poured upon them and they're saying, no, don't be separated, be unified. Come into community with one another. So that would have been hard. So the Spirit was doing in Acts 2, we see things that start to resist it there in Acts 5, 6, and 15. So now Paul comes along a little later and he's saying, hey, 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 we are not Jew or Greek. We are not slave or free. We are not male or female. We are all one in Christ. All right, Paul, I'm with you. That's a young Paul, youngish, an early Paul as an apostle. About halfway through his apostolic career, he's writing to the Romans. And he says this, he opens Romans with this, with this statement. This is Romans 1.16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, to be sure, this does not mean to the Jew first and then also the Greek. He's not advocating some kind of second class citizen. As the old preachers used to say, God has children. God doesn't have grandchildren, right? We all call God Father. So when he says to first the Jew and also the Greek, he's talking chronologically. That's how it happened in history. He came to Abraham and made his descendants, a.k.a. the Jews, the people of God, so that through them he would bless the world. And now he has in Christ Jesus, which is the gospel. So here's Paul mid-career having to kind of hit that drum of unity again. Now we get a little later, Colossians. This is an old Paul, right? He's in prison. I think he's in prison in Ephesus when he writes this. It's debatable. But there he says this, There is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Man, he is really ramping it up. Like, I don't, I don't know if Paul's getting exasperated. Like, hey, I've told you guys this before. <laughs> and now I'm going to tell you again. Or maybe he's got more patience than I do. Maybe, maybe he is a kinder, gentler uh, church leader. And he's like saying, once again, let's kind of come back to this very basic idea that the Spirit has unified us. That Christ has died for all of us. That we are all God's creation. We all call God Father. God is the one, as he will say in Acts 17, and, and the one in whom we live and move and have our being. And so that's all people, all places, everyone. Uh, black, white, uh, Asian, Latino, Pacific, Pacific Rim, Native American, young, old, male, female, non-binary, straight, gay, Republican, Democrat, Green Party, Libertarian, Anarchist. Who am I leaving out? Alabama fans. <laughs> Everybody. There is but one God. So we hear the fact that Paul has having to say that early in his career. Paul's saying that mid-career. Paul's saying that late career. And if we were actually to follow after Paul, the next generation of leaders like Ignatius at Antioch and then Clement in Alexandria and then 
um, Basel and Gregory in Cappadocia, which is one of those areas that people came down for the Pentecost. And then, and then Maximus in, in Rome and then later uh, North Africa. They're saying the same thing. They're saying something that I'm trying to say today and the fact that we still have to say it says something about the extent to which the, the, the wind of the Spirit is a wind that is blowing against the wind of the world that would drive us again to be separated instead of to be unified. I'm going to read this at length. I, just, I was planning on just kind of citing that Colossians 3.11. But man, Paul really lays it on thick here. He says this, and I love it. And I think this is, Paul was writing this to the Colossians, but I want us to hear this as Paul's words to us here at Oasis today. As God's chosen ones, Oasians, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of God, or the peace of Christ, rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Period. Full stop. Like, that's what I want for me. That's what I want for you. It's what I want for us. To live in harmony together. And I, I want it not just for us, those of us who come to Oasis, but I want us to be those types of people, again, in our families, in our neighborhoods, at the grocery store, um, at work, at school, wherever the case may be. This is the promise of unity, of making one out of many. And it's nothing new. It's not like this, this idea just popped up in Acts 2. It's actually an ancient idea. You see, the Old Testament text today that gets paired with Acts 2 is this story out of Ezekiel. It's Ezekiel 37. And Ezekiel is living in Babylon. The promised land has been destroyed. It's been taken over by the Babylonians. Jerusalem has been laid waste. The temple is gone. <laughs> Right, And so there sits Ezekiel, this, this Hebrew priest in Babylon, and the Spirit comes upon him. The same Spirit that was poured out on the day of Pentecost, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit that was poured out on Azusa Street, the same Spirit we were singing about earlier when we said, Welcome Holy Spirit. Same Spirit comes on Ezekiel, and Ezekiel has a vision. It's of a valley, and it's filled with bones. And those, those dried bones, um, the, the angel or the voice of God says to Ezekiel, what is all this? And Ezekiel's like, well, you should know. 
He said, I want you to speak to these bones so that they can live. And so he prophesies to the bones and the bones start to kind of snap together. It says sinew and flesh and skin. And then he says, now that they've come together, I want you to prophesy again to the bones or to the, to the now these people. And he does, and the, and the breath of God comes into them. Now, that obviously sounds like a resurrection story. But I think it's really a metaphor for the nation of Israel that had been completely and utterly um, destroyed. Like there was one kingdom and then they had split, right, a divorce. And the northern kingdom had been kind of just decimated. And the southern kingdom limped along for a while with, through a couple of revivals. But now they had been taken into captivity. This is not just a vision that Judah and Benjamin would come back from exile. This is more than that. This is a vision that all those other tribes would also come back that had been scattered. This is a vision that those who were outside of the tribes would also come. This is an all-encompassing vision that I think is being fulfilled on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when it says both Jews and proselytes from all these different places are here and saying, how is it that we hear in our own language the word of God? I have this to say to you today, Oasis. God knows the language you speak. And God will speak to you. And I pray that God speaks to you today and I pray that part of what you hear today in the songs we sing and the scriptures we read and the prayers we pray is that God is not just moving so that you can be unified with him. He is doing that. But he's also moving so that you can be unified with one another. The last verse in Ezekiel says this. Ezekiel, it says, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. I will place you on your own soil and then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. So that is our prayer, that God will place his spirit in us and that we might become agents of that unity. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.